Hello, and welcome to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. In this weekly podcast, you'll be inspired and equipped through the power of God's Word to live an overcoming life. The role of fathers is under attack today, and like an endangered species, it needs to be preserved. To preserve fatherhood, we must first understand how important it is, and then we need to make a decision to honor it. And now for this week's message. All right, if you are here and have your notes, way to go. If you don't, you can always scan the QR code on the bulletin. That'll bring up the notes as well. And we're going to be talking about preserving fatherhood this morning. Our entire month is about our father, talking about different aspects of our father. If you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go to the podcast and get it there because we talked about one of the amazing aspects of our Heavenly Father. And one of God's names is the Lord of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts. It's the most commonly used name of God in the Bible. And, uh, or in the, in the original language, it was Yahweh, set by oath. It, uh, it's an amazing name of God. It's the God who is there with you. When you have a mountain in your life or when there's a challenge in your life, there's this God of the angel armies who's with you. He's a God present. And so if you missed last week, I encourage you to pick that up on the podcast and get that. Today we're talking about fathers, earthly fathers, and preserving fatherhood in our country. And uh, so if you have your notes, again, go there and we'll go through some notes, some thoughts about that. When I was a young boy, maybe 10, 12 years old, something like that, I was driving with my dad in the grain truck, and we're heading to, to, into town to take some grain away. And as we're driving along southern Alberta, rolling hills, it was on a gravel road, and uh, today it's called the Blue Trail. Back then it, was, it used to be a cattle trail. That's why it was called the Blue Trail. Then they put gravel on it, and now it's a paved road. And we're driving down this road and uh, come between these hills, and there was this pond, a little lake there, and standing in the lake, there was this bird, and I remember looking out of the truck, and I saw this bird, and I said, Dad, what in the world is that? It was a big bird, and the bird stood over five, about five feet tall. I'd never seen that bird before. I'd seen lots of different birds. I'll put a picture up for you. The bird's a whooping crane, and uh, I looked at that bird and said, Wow, Dad, look, that's a gorgeous bird. It's huge. And, you know, most of the birds we had were geese and ducks and maybe a, a, a seagull or two and a, and a, and a pigeon and, a, and maybe a, a hawk or something like that and partridges. And my dad would teach me about the different birds. And, but I'd never seen a whooping crane. It was huge. The wingspan is over seven feet wide. And when that bird flies, it looks like the Concorde, you know. Remember the Concorde play? It looks like a Concorde, this huge bird just gliding through the air. It's an amazing, amazing bird when you watch it fly. And I said, Dad, what is it? It's a whooping crane. I said, I've never seen it before. I said, oh, he said, because, that's, they're, because they're very, very rare. We're, we're so privileged to see one. At that time, there was only about 50 of them in the world. And to see one then was very unusual. So we stopped the truck. We were looking at it. And he, today there's about, they've made a comeback. There's about close to 500 whooping cranes today in the wild. But that time there was only about 50 left. And so I said to Dad, I said, well, Dad, does it really matter that there's, if they go extinct? And he said, oh, yeah, son, it matters because every, every animal has a role to play. And this bird's important because it, it catches the mice. It eats the extra rodents. And so he's explaining the way things work. And, and he said, that's why we need to protect this bird. That's why it's illegal to shoot it, to hunt it. You can't shoot that bird. And my dad explained to me the value of it and how we need to, the role that it plays and why it needs to be protected and valued. And uh, I want to jump from there to fathers, tie this in. Because, you know, fathers are a bit endangered in our country. 
the fatherhood as a whole is endangered. And as much as that bird had a specific role to play, fathers have a role to play in our church, in our community, in our society. If the families are strong, churches are strong. If the families are strong, cities are strong. If families are strong, countries are strong. And families are led by fathers. Fathers have a unique role to play. And we're beginning to learn more and more the importance of fathers in our country, in our society. Let me give you just a few stats that would kind of show what's happened in fatherhood and why they have been uh, endangered and the effect of it. There's some notes in your handout, but to preserve fatherhood, we first have to understand how important it is. That whooping crane, very important to the overall picture, but fathers are hugely important to how society goes. There's a lot of studies out there. You could Google fatherhood. You'll find lots of information about it, but I pulled out one stat. It was a good summary. According to the Institute of the Study of Civil Society of the UK, they said children who grow up fatherless are eight times more likely to go to prison. Cheryl and I have done some work in prisons. When we, were, we were amazed at how many of the people we talked to in prisons. They said, I didn't have a dad or I had an absent dad or my dad said to me, son, you're so rotten. One day you're going to end up in prison and it was a self-fulfilled prophecy. Here I am in prison. And the role of fathers, if you've gone to prison ministry or if you've worked with children in foster care or if you've worked with uh, children that are troubled, youth that are troubled, you, you know this stat is so true, the importance of a good father. This, they also found out that people without a father are five times more likely to commit suicide. 20 times more likely to have behavioral problems. 20 times more likely to become rapists. 30 times more likely to become runaways. 10 times more likely to abuse chemical up sub- substances. 9 times more likely to drop out of high school. 1 tenth as likely to get A's in school. So the role of fathers, don't have to do a lot of study on this to know that they're so important to the health of the family home, the church, the society, community, they're really important. That's why we have to protect them and value them. Here's a stat that surprised me. It might surprise you. I don't know what the comparison would be in Canada, but our society in Canada and U.S. is very similar. In the United States, the federal government spends $99.8 billion, not million, billion, $99.8 billion every year on programs such as child support enforcement, anti-poverty efforts to support Father absent homes, almost a hundred billion dollars a year because of the fatherless program uh, problem that they have there. It's similar in Canada. Here in Canada, we have about twenty percent of our families. Same thing for Britain, Australia, Norway, other countries where there's not a father present. That's one out of five in our country. So we we, we share these needs because there's a need for fathers in our land. Now every time Father's Day comes up, or every time Mother's Day comes up. It's always a bit of a, of a, a tension to speak on it. And uh, you know, why is because for some, if it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, I don't even want to come to church. For some, it's too painful to come to church because their experience with their mother or their father was not good. And often more so with fathers because maybe the dad wasn't there. Maybe the father wasn't. And sometimes there's been abuse in the homes. And so Father's Day is kind of a, oh, I just want to get through this day because it's so tough. So we have that factor Sometimes it was this past year that your dad died. He, he passed away. And so Father's Day can be challenging, very sensitive for that reason. Sometimes Father's Day is sensitive because as dads, you feel like, man, I, I blew it. I didn't do a very good job. And I almost feel guilty. I feel condemned about Father's Day. 
We had a father yesterday come up after the service, and we prayed for him. He said, this is a really hard... I debated on coming to church this week because this, this year I got a divorce. And the kids are here. The kids are torn in between. He says, our home is a mess. I, I don't even feel it coming to church on, on a Father's Day weekend. So you, you have those emotions. So Because fathers have such a vital role in our life that a Father's Day can really strike chords in our heart. But nonetheless, we must raise up the standard, raise up the hope, raise up the importance of this role. And the church needs to be a voice for the role, the need of strong, healthy fathers in our homes and in our society. I've got good news for you today. I gave you some stats, but there's some other stats to show you that the pendulum is swinging back. Society as a whole, of course, the church has always said this, but even within society, they're recognizing we have to get fathers back. We have to revitalize the role. Just like we said, oh, whooping cranes are going extinct. We better do something about this. Let's preserve and protect them. Society as a whole is saying we need to do something about this. And a quick Google on fatherhood, you'll see that to be so. Here's a couple interesting stats, so just to show you that it, there is a change happening. Uh, in Canada today, they, they did a survey in 2011, Stats Canada, and we have more fathers today in Canada than the history of the entire nation that we've ever had before. And so that, that's good news. There's more fathers than ever. And this is another stat that they came out of that last survey, 2011. The last time they did it was 2005, and today... Guys, listen to this. this you, know, you, you deserve a pat on the back for this one. Today, 81% of men do housework compared to 77% in 2005. So we're going the right direction, guys. All right, we are getting the message, and we're hanging around more, doing more chores. And all the women said, amen, so be it. Do the chores, yeah. So all that to say that the pendulum is shifting back. Is there a need? Yes. Has there been a lack? Yes, but we see a shift coming back. We see the need, and of course, the world's recognizing it. Okay, let's go to your uh, notes. Scripture for today is Psalm 127, verses 1 to 5. We're going to look at this psalm this morning. Here we read Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house. I could say unless the Lord builds a family. Unless he builds it, we labor in vain. Now, you probably know of people, just like I do, who they worked really hard on their family life, and they, they did a lot of stuff, but the family fell apart. They may even had all the toys. They may have done all the things, but at the end of the day, family went every which direction. This verse says, unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. You, you spin your wheels. You, the family unit isn't what it's supposed to be. So we build the house, the Lord builds a house. How does the Lord actually build my house? The way he builds his house is by using his blueprint. This is God's blueprint. It's his word. Family was his idea. Home was his idea. This is God's idea. He is the architect of family. Amen? He's the architect of homes. He's, it was his idea. He's the designer of it. And you have to dig into his blueprint to find instructions on every phase of home and family. Fathers, challenging you this morning, have to read the blueprint. You've got to go back and read it. Now, if you were building a house and you bought your lot in Vancouver and you paid a million dollars or something silly for a lot, 
could go to Chilliwack and get it for 200 but you have to pay a lot more here. And so you buy your lot, and you, and you go, and you say, okay, I'm going to get my blueprints, right? You, you get an architect, and you drop your blueprints, and they're thick, you know, tells you how to do the foundation, the wiring, everything, all the windows, where everything goes, and there's pages in that blueprint, right? And then you hire your developer, your, the guy who's going to build it for you. You say, sir, I want you to build my house here. Here's the blueprints, and uh, away you go. And so he's, okay, I'll build your house. And then you come to check up on the house, and, and you find your blueprints have never been opened. He, there's no fingerprints on it. It's not smudged and dirty and marked up. It's still sitting there very nice on the table where you left it. And he's out there. He's got gravel coming in, trucks coming in, workers there hammering, sawing. And you go, uh, what are you doing? I'm building your house. Well, you haven't even looked at the blueprint. No, I'm just going to wing it. I, just, I, I, I can do this. You know, my buddy said this. And you go... No, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you're going to build my house, we're going to follow this blueprint to a T. I want to look exactly like the blueprint. And the same thing when building God's, when we want to build our house. We want to say, God, I'm going to go to your blueprint. I really want to follow exactly the way you said to build your house. Because then it's his house. Because it's, he's the architect of it. Beside us here, Shangri-La, right? 650 feet tall. Big building. And I didn't get to see the blueprints of it, but I bet there's a stack of blueprints, right, for that building. Lots of instructions for that. And uh, when they built that, they followed every instruction, how much concrete and how much rebar and how much wiring. And the architect's name is James Chan. So James, the Shangri-La, is the tower that James Chang built because he's the architect. If you look this way across the street... We are waiting for a building to come out of the ground, right? We'll have another 600-some-foot tower across the street here. And that architect is Arthur Erickson, very famous architect. So that'll be the building that Arthur Erickson built because we followed his blueprint. This week they're going to make an announcement. I don't know if you heard that, but we got a neighbor coming across the street. And, uh, well, actually, I think it's out in the news already, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So Mr. Trump will be our new neighbor. He'll, be, he'll have Mr. Trump Tower across the street from us. That's what I read in the Vancouver Sun. I think the, it's still rumored, but it will probably be announced this week. So, that, that, so Arthur Erickson building, James Chang building. Our home is the house that God built because we followed his instruction. All right, so that's Psalm 127, verse 1. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. He gives his beloved sleep. Would you not agree that to get up early, go to work, and then work all day long, work through the night, and not spend time with your family, you eat the bread of sorrows? You may have the nicest house. You may have the boat. You may have the 60-inch color TV. You may have all the stuff. But the other day, you say, where is my family? This is very sorrowful because I've worked really hard, but where are my family? I've talked to a number. I can think of a conversation I had across the street with a businessman. And he said, you know, I, I, I worked so hard. I got up early, went to work, and I thought, oh, if I would just give all my, my kids all this stuff, they'd be happy. They're now grown up. They don't come to visit me because I didn't spend any time with them. I'm eating the bread of sorrows. I'm putting words out in his mouth. But that's what he was saying. Where, where are they when I really want them? This is instruction on how to build a home. Then it says here, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. They are a heritage. They're an inheritance. That means they're not chattel property. 
They're not your property. Oh, this is my kid. He's my property. I get to do what I want with him. No, it's inheritance from the Lord. It's a gift from God. And we need to be wise in the way we raise up our children. The verse we want to get to is verse number four. It's bold in your notes. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man. And really, it could be blessed. In the original, you would say, happy, happy. And if you were on Duck Dynasty, you'd say, happy, happy, happy. Maybe you haven't watched that show. Happy, happy, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. We want to talk a bit about that today. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. And we have some arrows with us here today. And I have a quiver full of them. And uh, we'll get that out here. And I also bought a bow. This is a skookum bow. I'll tell you what. This is... It says on this bow, it says brown bear. I asked the fellow who brought it in. He said, yes, you could kill a bear with this bow. So don't worry. I'm not aiming it at you. We'll keep it over here. Uh, So we have the bow and we have the arrows. And this verse says here, like arrows, right? Arrows in the hand of a warrior. So we're going to pull out an arrow. All the men, we're going to give you an arrow today, okay? Before you leave, we're going to give you one of these arrows. And uh, we'll tell you more about that as we go along. But let me give you a few things, practical things about arrows that will help us understand how this ties into being fathers and raising children. Uh, First of all, arrows don't shoot themselves. Uh, They don't just magically hit the bullseye. The whole, what we really want to do is we want to hit a bullseye. We want to hit the target with our arrow. And the arrows, of course, are children. And the target is the purpose, the destiny, the goals that they have for their life, what their talents are. That's what we want to do. Eventually, when we release them, they leave. We want them to be fulfilled and hit the target with their life. That doesn't just happen. It doesn't happen automatically. Before the arrow can leave, before the arrow can be disciplined, we have to be disciplined. The Lord said to Moses, write these things on your heart and then give them to your children. If it's not on us first, it won't be on the arrow. First, we have to be disciplined. First, we have to learn. First, we have to study. Uh, You have to study your children. You have to find out what their gifts are, what their talents are. You know, if you're, if you, I met some fathers and, you know, the men, they, they didn't make the hockey team, but they want their son to play hockey and they want their son to make it into the NHL and, uh, and they send them to hockey. Come on, son, you can do it. And, this, and then one day they realize their son really can't play hockey, but he can sure play piano. And so guess what? Don't force that kid to play hockey. Then he's, his, his target is music. His target is the arts or maybe the other way around. But we have to study the arrow. We have to find out what it is. Uh, we have to study. If you're going to shoot an arrow, you have to know something about the bow. You have to, that's your responsibility to learn that. You have to have strength. It takes strength to pull it back. And uh, this particular bow takes a lot of strength to pull back. It's meant for some serious hunting. And so you have to be able to pull back the bow. You have to be able to study where the target is. You have to be able to know which way the wind's blowing. Uh, You have to know how far it is. There's a lot of things. In order for that arrow to fly, the person shooting it has to do a lot of homework before that happens. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to step on some guy's toes this morning for a little bit. You know, one of the things that I find men need work on, myself included, is I don't mind studying things, whether it be my hobby or my, you know, other things, maybe cars or golf or IT or stereos or something. We don't mind reading books on that. We kind of find it a hard time to read books on child raising. 
And so every season of life, my wife has been very good. She said, here's a book on toddlers, son. Uh, David, I think we need to read this. Uh, here's a book on uh, teens. I think we need to read this. And she'll keep giving me books because you have to keep studying. You have to keep learning. You have to keep growing with it. Because if you want that arrow to hit the mark, you have to study and learn and keep learning for it to hit the mark. Guys, I'll give you a great series of books to read. If you want to read a great series, you won't put it down. And it's by an author by the name of Con Ilgulden, I-G-G-U-L-D-E-N. And he has a series of books. One is on Genghis Khan, and the other is on the Roman Empire. And I think the one on Genghis Khan, there's five books in that series. And uh, I love these books. They're, they're really, if you want to study about a, a leader and a conqueror, as you know, Genghis Khan one time ruled more of the world than anybody else. And one of the books is called Lord of the Bows, because the Mongolian warriors, whew, they were amazing warriors. And uh, they, one of their strengths was the bow. They had developed a bow. They had refined it. And these guys were incredible marksmen with the bow. They practiced and practiced and studied it. And when they shot the arrow, it hit the mark. They knew how to do that. History records that they were accurate up to 500 meters. They could hit that target 500 meters away. That's a lot of strength, that's a lot of bow, that's a lot of practice, that's a lot of accuracy to hit the target. And they could fire repeatedly on the horse. They would be galloping full speed on their horse, pulling out the arrows and shooting, steering with their knees, guiding the horse with their knees, not with with a bridle, steering with their knees, and firing one arrow after another. I forget what it was, how many they could shoot in a minute, but they were fast. And another thing that they would do when they released the arrow, they knew exactly when to release it. And it's important for us when we raise our children to know when to release them. But when they're galloping, at a full gallop, there's, if you've ridden horses, you know this. There's a time when at a gallop, all four hoofs are off the ground for a split second. They were so skilled. When at that moment, the horse is kind of perfectly still, and that's when they would release the arrow. And they couldn't figure out how they, they were so accurate with the bow and arrow. It's because they were so skilled in using it that those arrows hit the target. I'm proposing to you today that we need to be as skilled with the bow and arrow, likewise in raising our children, that we study, we learn, we practice. Uh, Arrows are crafted to be straight. They're crafted to be balanced. And when we raise our children, we want the arrows to be straight. We want them to be balanced so they fly straight. It says there in that verse, as the children of your youth, when you make an arrow from scratch, if you take a piece of wood, it has to be flexible, bendable, so you can line it up and make it straight. And it's true that children, when they're younger, you know, Hitler said something, he said, give me a child till the age of five, and I'll have him the rest of his life. When they're young, when they're flexible, I'll make them what I want, when they're moldable. And as dads, as parents, we need to mold those arrows when they're young so that they can fly true, straight, and balanced. Another thing about arrows is that they're designed for maximum impact on the target. This arrow especially, I won't give you one of these arrows, guys. I'll give you one of these safe arrows. This arrow isn't really safe because it's meant for hunting. It's got a very sharp tip on it, made of special steel. And this arrow is designed for maximum impact. It's designed to kill something like a deer or a bear. And uh, it's called the Game Getter 2. So... A game getter. It's an Easton. Easton makes hockey sticks and makes arrows, I guess. So there you go. But this arrow is designed for maximum impact. It's been crafted for that. It's designed that when it hits its target, there's an impact. 
And when we raise our children, we raise them as in the hands of a warrior. We're training them for maximum impact in life. Maximum impact as an engineer. Maximum impact as a preacher. Maximum impact as a school teacher. Maximum impact as an artist. Maximum impact as we raise. Maximum impact. We need fathers to raise up children to make maximum impact. This is all out of Psalm chapter 127. Uh, Arrows are designed to not stay in the quiver. They're designed to come out of the quiver. As nice as it is to have our children in our four walls, there's times where you have to come out of the quiver and you have to be released. Likewise, it is with life. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. It didn't say arrows in the hand of a recreational archery shooter, okay? It said like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Why? Because families, fatherhood is a fight. It's a, it's, a, it's a battle to raise families. It's a battle against the powers of darkness. It's a battle against the influence of the world around us. There's a fight for it. If you've raised children, you know that. If you've been a father for any length of time, you know there's a battle that goes with it, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Nehemiah chapter 4, it's not there in your notes, but maybe write it down on the side. Nehemiah 4, 13 and 14. I like what Nehemiah says. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall, the rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, at the openings, the weak areas. He put the people, and I set the people according to their families and their swords, their spears, and bows. And I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, your Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Here it says, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He says, here, we got a job to do. Men, there, take your bows, fight for your brethren, fight for your daughters, fight for your families. And he would have the same message for fathers today. Fight for them. We need a resurgence of fatherhood in our land, and we need to honor it and preserve it. So point number two, preserve fathers. We need to honor them. Preserve fatherhood, we need to honor it. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3, this commandment appears 10 times in Scripture. Honor, esteem, and value as precious your father. Remember the whooping crane illustration? Whooping crane is very important to us, so we honor, we protect it. Fathers are very important to society. We need to honor and protect them, value them. This is the first commandment with a promise that may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. I think if we did a poll this morning, I think most of us would want it to be well with us, unless there's something really wrong with you, All right, and, we, and we'd want to live long. What's the key to it? Honor your father, honor your mother. There's something about honoring them, honoring your fathers. You know, some of the shows we have on TV, they're so stupid. Excuse the word. But it's just so stupid. They just they make dads look like some buffoon. You know, they make them look like so stupid. Uh, and uh, I think it's time to... I saw there's a whole on there's a website called Fatherhood, and they had like, oh, I don't know, half a dozen or more advertisements. One was by Dove, one was by another sporting store, and they're just showing all these advertisements that honored fathers. And they said, let's, they're, it, it's a secular website, but the whole thing was, let's bring fatherhood back to a positive light. Enough of this, demeaning them, making them look like they're, they're the idiot. We need to raise up fathers, not, not cut them down. Fathers need to be encouraged. It, it's a battle. They need to be built up and encouraged. Here's a few points on how to do that. Number one, three levels of honoring your father. One is affirmation. Now, depending on our dads, it's different for all of us. 
Some of us, it's very difficult, maybe because of what happened in our homes, or dad was absent, or whatever, so it's hard to honor them. But one thing we can all do is affirm them. Affirm means you draw attention to their strengths, their talents, and abilities, or maybe their appearance. This would be, dad, you, you dress sharp. Maybe you can't find a lot to say, but dad, you're a good dresser, or dad, you're a good businessman. Dad, you find something to affirm them. You honor them that way. A second level of honoring your father, you could say, I appreciate you. It's a little bit stronger honoring, affirmation. And this is where you not just recognize their strength or ability, but you tell them that they're valuable to you. So you could say something, Dad, you're valuable to me because you give me good advice. Dad, you're valuable to me because you make great holiday memories. Or, Dad, you're valuable to me because I value because you provided an education for me. Or maybe for some of us, we've never said this. And some of us need to say it. Dad, I'm so grateful to you. I'm, so, I'm honoring you today because I get to live in Vancouver. You made a huge sacrifice to move our family from Asia, to move our family from another country, so I got to live here. You worked hard. You sacrificed. I just want you to know today, Dad, thank you that I got to live here. I haven't said that, but I need to say that. That would be honoring your father. Maybe he wasn't always there, but what did he do for you? So you honor him. And then the highest level, really, of honoring is where you admire someone and you go to them and you say, I I value so much I want to be like you. Dad, I want to treat my wife the way you treated mom. I want to read the Bible the way you read the Bible. I want to be a man of integrity like you are a man of integrity. That's kind of the platinum standard. But one of those levels, we can honor our fathers, just depending on where you are with your life. Here's a few practical tips that we want to run through this morning yet. Number one, how could we honor our Father? One, speak well of Him and to Him. So good just to take time to speak well of them. Proverbs 27, 21, the refining pot is for silver, the furnace for gold, and a man, a father, a daddy is valued by what others say of him, especially his children. So there's one simple tip. Number two, respect his wife, his family, and friends. Help make home a refuge. It's important to respect his wife. He's usually his best friend, so respect that. Respect his friends. These are practical tips. Number three, draw wisdom from his life experiences. Ask him to tell stories that he's told you before. Ask him how to do things. In that little video you watched earlier, you saw the dad watching as the daughter was checking the oil in his car. Oh, yeah, she's learned how to do that. You know, that would thrill a dad to say, hey, dad, I bought a vehicle. Could you teach me this? Or can you teach me this? Fathers are thrilled when that happens. Every once in a while, my, one of my daughters will come to me and say, and they'll, they'll ask me which outfit to wear. Dad, should I wear this outfit, and should I wear this outfit? I'm always thrilled when they ask me that. And I'll just say, oh, you wear that outfit. They rarely will do it. They'll wear the other outfit. But <laughs> they'll go to their mom, and the mom says, no, no, that doesn't work. Wear this one. But I'm just honored that they came and asked me for my input. So uh, I'm thrilled by that. Number four, be responsible. Appreciate what they have provided. Appreciate. Oh, Dad, I appreciate what you've done for me. Don't take it for granted. Men instinctively want to provide and protect, so let them know that. Five, forgive them. Don't keep an account of suffered wrongs. I've seen people that go through life very bitter because they remember what their dad did, and they hold on to it all their life. You're going to have to forgive them and let it go. No father is perfect except our Heavenly Father. And for some of us, it really involves some inner healing, but we have to forgive them and move on. So, God, I forgive them. And sometimes our dads did stupid things because their dads did things that were wrong. And they've learned from them. And let's be the generation that changes it and does things right. But for some of us, we have to forgive our fathers for what they've done. And then lastly, number six, pray for your dad. 
Pray for his walk with God. How many here this morning would say, my dad isn't walking with God. I need to pray with him. Pray for him. How many would be a good number of you? Yeah. So we need to pray for our fathers for that. We need to pray that our dads would have a great relationship with their wife and with their children, that our dads would see our world through our eyes. Pray that they would uh, enjoy parenting. Pray for their friends, their health, their work. One of the greatest things to do is pray for your father. Very honoring to do that. Thanks so much for listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. We hope that today's message has inspired you to live a life fully devoted to following Christ. Be sure to check out our website for other ways to watch, listen, or share this message. For more information, go to coastalchurch.org.